Welcome to the second episode of the Bloop Single Podcast. Still spring training in Arizona. Uh, still innings being decided and ending after 20 pitches with runners on first and one out. Uh, you know, spring training looks a little bit different this year, uh, but it's still spring training. It's still baseball, and I'm still joined by Rob Gifford. How you doing, Rob? Doing great. Uh, yeah, really enjoying the first week of spring training, um, which our first podcast went the same day as game one, I think right in the middle of it. So uh, what's really exciting is no major injuries, and we're going to get into that here in a little bit. Um, and I, I highlight the word major. Um, but yeah, excited to see the team, excited to see baseball played, even if it is Little League style with mercy rules and and time caps. But hey, it's the world we live in right now, and it, it's all about preparing for the real season. So these games don't count. I'm just happy to be watching baseball. Yeah, and I guess your and my definition of major might be a little bit different there, Rob. I would say that uh, losing our starting right fielder for the first or the next four to six weeks, including over the opening day, is a pretty major injury, considering he was one of the best Dimex's best offensive performers last season. And if you don't know what we're talking about yet, Cole Calhoun was diagnosed with a torn meniscus and had a surgery to repair that is going to be out for four to six weeks, which covers opening day. He doesn't remember how the injury was sustained. He's been living with it for some, quite some time. I guess the doctors say, you know, it could be a couple years old. So this may just be a injury that has been percolating and, you know, waiting to occur. So, Rob, why don't you think this is a major injury? Uh, so first off, like you just said, this happened so early in spring training that his six to week or four to six week diagnosis, uh, most of that's covered in spring training, and we can get to the value of the at bats he would get in spring training here in a moment. Uh, but just look at like past history of our own right fielders. We had two years of Steven Souza when he got hurt. Um, not only uh, in the first year, he busted his shoulder when he was out a significant amount of time. I mean, we're talking about he didn't get back until July or August of that year. He had missed over 100 games in year one of a two-year contract. And then in his second year, and this is more of a timing thing, the game right before the season started is when he got hurt with his own knee injury. It was gone the whole year. He was done. And so when I talk about major, um, and you'll see it here in the major leagues, like, technically a non-contact sport except for the ball. Um, You see people out for extended amount of time, if not a whole year. You see pitchers gone with Tommy John, and they're gone through the middle of the the following year, depending on when they get hurt. So four to six weeks, especially with that much time being in spring training, is almost nothing to me. And it should feel like nothing to him. He shouldn't, Cole Calhoun shouldn't be discouraged about this injury, except for the fact that it's his body and his health and you know, you talk about when your playing days are done, when when you wake up in the morning and your knee hurts, you know, it's 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 these sort of moments. But as far as the season, man, like he's still going to get, you know, 400 to 500 at bats. And I'm not worried about that at all. Right. So, yeah, in the scheme of things for Cole Calhoun, no, it's not a uh, it's not a Steven Sousa type knee injury where and it's not a Richie, was... Richie section shoulder injury. It's not a Tommy John. You know, we've had players out for a long time and, and this is not that situation. No, but this is just another occurrence in the Diamondbacks of putting together a starting outfield, which going into spring training, going into the season, we expected a starting outfield of David Peralta in left, Kettle Marte in center, and Cole Calhoun in right. And just like many years in the past, like you mentioned with Steven Sousa, we lost our starting right fielder two seasons in a row with him. He was supposed to be out there 
providing great defense. Before that, uh, Cody Ross had uh, an injury in spring training. Another one, that a kept whole hit. Out. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, am at a loss for uh, who else. But there are other. It seems like in right field, the Diamondbacks do not have luck with getting their off-season starting right fielder to opening day. So with that being said, Rob, let's start, who's our starting outfield going into spring tra- going into the opening day now? Well, I hope you brought your glove. Um, so that's actually really exciting. So we've had success, I would say, in the outfield in general. And I think it's part of the mindset of the fan base to allow um, scrappy players into the outfield. I mean, how often have we been so excited about a Willie Bloomquist, you know, who's a converted infielder, plays the outfield for us, uh, diving around in left field. And, and same with uh, what is it, Ryan Roberts. And these players, like, because we allow or maybe have a mindset of, like, scrappy-doo playing in our outfield, that allows us some flexibility with players that are now on our 40-man roster. And so what I would submit to you is that our right fielder, who needs to have a good glove and and really the strongest arm as far as anyone in the outfield, I anticipate you're going to see a bit of a shift, and you're actually going to see David Peralta, who started with us in the outfield in right field, go ahead and shift over in what has typically been the weakest outfielding position for the major leagues is our left fielder. That's where you're going to have a lot of flexibility. And so I'd love to get, rather than worrying about our right fielder, I think David Peralta can shift over there for a few weeks. He's a veteran. He's He's got a lot of experience. Uh, he's got a gold glove and left. Exactly. And, and one of the strongest arms on the team, you know, as far as like, getting the ball to either third base or home plate or ideally hitting a cutoff man um, better than anyone else that we're going to be able to talk about um, sans maybe trace Thompson. Um, we probably won't catch on to him today. So just focus on Peralta and right field for now. The better issue is who to replace now and left. Well, I don't want to jump too far into left field without mentioning and discussing Tracy Thompson just a little bit uh, only because this is now the second spring training in a row that he's had a great spring training for the Diamondbacks. I mean, if you, it's hard to remember going back to last year's spring training before the season, before we were cut off for COVID in spring training. But he was hitting the ball hard. He was hitting home runs this season. He hit the first home run of the spring for the Diamondbacks. He hit a second one already. He's got a 300 batting average just during the spring, getting on base, hitting the ball hard. And he has major league experience in right field. I think. Even if we were just talking about roster projections, he'd be a candidate for making the opening day roster as the fourth or fifth outfielder. So, Rob, is there a reason that you don't are discounting him? Or are you just more excited about what we have in left field? So, two things. One, when I look at the stats, I get that over time he's added to a 300 batting average. But I, I typically look, he's like 0 for 1, 1 for 2. Like He's not getting a ton of playing time right now, even after the injury. Here's a better question. Is he on the 40-man roster right now? He is not. He is not, which means you have to make a move. And really a move for what I'm anticipating, um, probably a two-week fix, up to a month. And that, that'd that be crazy, but not a lot of time. And so you're going to bring someone up from a service time standpoint. You're going to kick someone off a 40-man roster, uh, which admittedly is a hard move. We've not seen that a ton. Um, you just don't take people on and off, right, because of designating for... Uh, assignment and and really 
subjecting players that are on your 40-man roster now to, to other teams to swoop up and take them in, good players because you want someone up for a couple of weeks? It doesn't make sense to me. Right, and that might be the biggest question mark with Tracy Thompson is he doesn't have any options left. So if we do put him on the opening day roster, add him to the 40-man roster. When Cole Calhoun comes back, if he's the short man and we want to send him back down to the minors, he's going to have to be subjected to waivers and he may no longer be in the organization. So I think that's a good point. Two to four weeks of no Cal Cole Calhoun may not be worth risking adding Thompson in case we want to add him to the roster for a more extended period of time if he really shines in, in the minors. So we assume David Peralta's moving to right. Rob, give me some left fielder names. All right, we're going to start with what I feel are the most obvious and trickle down. Um, and I'm going to put them into groups because otherwise we're not going to talk about nine different people all in depth. Uh, but let's just start with the most obvious choices to replace the left fielder. Um, or to play left field, I should say. The first one is someone who we've seen before. In 2019, played games specifically in left, but has a ton of versatility because he plays the, the middle infield positions, and that's Josh Rojas. Already in five games, and I know he had two homers in one, so good day but he's had three homers overall already in spring training and so he's the one thing is he's always had great defense so it's whether or not he can have a bat to go along with it and then separately a position because like he's not gonna beat nick ahmed and um kettle Marte for any of the middle infielder positions right so he's always especially last year we didn't really see a ton of him but he has experience specifically in left field with the diamondbacks he's a local product so if we love cal calhoun for the same reason you know this is a, a millennium high school graduate you know now playing for the the hometown team again the mentality of this this fan base is to really get behind these b-level players or these scrappy players and, and he fits that mold i think he's the number one choice ultimately follow quickly behind and so we can talk about the group is tim lacastro who's got his own um, issues with getting on the field right now being in the COVID protocol. Um, and then the third name is Stuart Fairchild. We saw him a little bit last year, and he's been playing more often um, here in the outfield since the Cole Calhoun injury. So those are the most obvious choices for me. Yeah, I think, you know, I had not actually thought of just Rojas myself when thinking about who might step into the role, uh, I kind of just see him as the backup second baseman, backup shortstop right now. And he has been hitting well. No, he played some outfield. But for whatever reason, he just didn't really uh, you know, pop it up my mind as a replacement. Think uh, Willie Bloomquist. Ryan Roberts, probably, because Willie Bloomquist was a leader. But Ryan Roberts, like until he landed some major time at third base, he was playing everywhere. And that's where I see Josh Rojas. And, and every 25th man has got to be like that. Right. Tim LaCastro, I think, is an interesting name because assuming he gets out of COVID-19 protocol and gets back into spring training and shows that he has the uh, the endurance and the stamina and is, and is game ready, you know, we were talking about him being a possible everyday starting center fielder so that we could keep Marte in second base. Uh, you know, his arm maybe profiles a little bit better to left to left field. He's got the speed for center and the range for center, which means he's got the speed and range for left field. He could probably be an excellent gold glove level left fielder. So I think that's a really great name to uh, discuss. But what I'm really more interested in is why you've got Stuart Fairchild ranked so highly. Uh, Stuart Fairchild came over to us in the Reds trade for Archie Bradley last year. Bit of a prospect. Uh, 
I don't really know too much about him. So, Rob, tell me why you're so high on Stuart Fairchild. He is the only player on our 40-man roster who has outfield written next to his name who's not on the COVID list. I mean, that's not a great ring and endorsement, but like, <laughs> you know, he plays the position and he had some time with us um, last year after that trade. And more specifically, like how you saw Josh Rojas as a, a middle infielder backup who can now play left field. We're talking about like scrappy players like this guy actually knows how to play the position. So you can't discount that, especially when we get into our next section, which is, hey, what infielder? who doesn't have a starting spot on this team can we throw out there and so like when you think of Stuart Fairchild does he move the meter no but does Pavin Smith you know our backup first baseman does Josh Van Meter Dalton Varsho is our backup catcher Andy Young backup infielder I mean did any of those move the meter for you did any of those move the van meter for you I don't think so <laughs> yeah right I you know I don't think you're that far off, given that he is in the 40-man roster. You know, something to be said about having an actual outfielder, natural outfielder playing left field rather than a converted infielder, um, especially if they're not all as athletic as Kettle Marte is. Uh, I don't really feel as strongly about seeing Andy Young in left field as I do Kettle Marte move in, in the sense of moving from the infield to the outfield. Yeah, just because Kettle Marte can do it doesn't mean every... Mi- infielder can just go to the outfield because it's easier we saw connor jackson struggle at first base go to the outfield and continue to you know struggle defensively years right. ago in the in the what 08 season i i definitely do miss uh good connor jackson so yeah i think that's real interesting i think you're right on the point rob that david peralta probably been playing right field for us to start the season he's got the experience there he's got the arm there so it really uh come, boils down to who's going to be added as who's going to be the starting left fielder. And I think also with that, if there's any opening for any of these youngsters to uh, make the roster with Cole Calhoun on the injured list, somebody who may have been the 26th man, do they now become the 25th man? And one person that pops to mind who can play some left field, has played there in the minors and in spring training, and is also a former you know, number one prospect for the Diamondbacks, but Paven Smith. He's got a good left-handed bat. Cole Calhoun was left, left-handed. left Pavin Smith is lefty. So you're not really giving up too much in the platoon range. By, you're, not, you're not sacrificing that left-handed bat uh, completely. Uh, so what do you think about Pavin Smith? Left fielder, backing up, uh, maybe doing some platooning with Christian Walker to start the season. Yeah, I think he's a great option because it buys you a little more time with Cole Calhoun if he needs to get his bat up to speed um after spring training here's why i really like pevin smith as an option it was really tough to put him in this kind of middle of the pack tier um as far as options but he gives you versatility that i really enjoy even not only in the outfield but in the the first base position just like christian walker before him uh pevin smith is stunted he's he's not able to get into the first base regular rotation you know, because he's got a starter ahead of him. And Christian Walker, I think we have both felt is a really big part of this team and not someone who's going to be easily moved. I think the benefit here is that unlike Paul Goldschmidt, who was the blockade in front of Christian Walker a couple years ago, uh, Christian Walker doesn't necessarily like, I don't feel compelled to see him all 150 plus games, you know, like the stalwart. And here's the thing, like you talked about platoon, he's a right-handed hitter. Pavin Smith can come in as a left-handed hitter and, and give Christian Walker a bit of a spell at first. 
you know, even after Cole Calhoun comes back and we sort of readjust, my concern, and maybe you're going to hit on this, he's got a 143 batting average through spring training and has has again shown he's not ready for major league pitching even this early. Yeah, I was not going to hit on that. I actually don't give that much credence to major league or spring training statistics you're talking such sample sizes. I mean, I'm I don't give Stuart credence Fair. when he has a 500 batting average because pitchers are working on their pitches. But if you can't even hit like someone working on a curveball, that's the issue. And so low percentages are issue to me. Or I'm not going to ask why you include Stuart Fairchild with his 167 batting average and six strikeouts. Uh, Only man on the 40 man roster <laughs> who has outfield written next to his name currently. That Paven Smith is up to 400 batting in spring training. Four hits on 10 at-bats. But the real interesting thing to me is, uh, do you have baseball reference pulled up still? Uh, yeah, I do. If you look at the spring training box score, there's a new column added called opponent quality. Oh, because of the, like, the later innings and stuff? Yeah, so it gives... Well, like that number one weighting is opposing batter is a pitcher. Um, but yeah, it kind of looks in spring training at these so how much weight can you really give to these stats yeah if you go if you have a perfect inning but you went against uh like the a double a outfielder the backup catcher and a pitcher what are you gonna do you know right so this has like paven smith's his opponent quality is 6.3 which they put us somewhere between high a and double a yeah That'll be interesting, especially like, I mean, we just talked about it then 400 batting average. What does that mean? Uh, if he just hit off someone who like has two pitches in, you know, a fastball changeup and he had no control of his changeup that day. Right. Anyone can tee up a fastball. Right. Trace Thompson's opponent quality is 6.3. Stuart Fairchild's is 6.8. So they're all right there in that double A quality. All these players we're talking about. And Josh Rojas's quality is also 6.3. So I think that's probably where we're at in spring training right now with major league pitchers getting two innings to start and then you maybe have like one or two relievers pitch one inning. Now, I think what makes Pavin Smith more interesting to me is, like you said, the ability to play first base, the fact that he's a top prospect, the fact that Christian Walker is not a perennial National League MVP candidate like Paul Goldschmidt was, there's an opportunity that Christian Walker can become commoditized and traded and Pavis Smith steps into an everyday role if he shows that ability. Okay. Um, so I'm going to give you an open chance to just say one more thing in praise of this this guy. But we uh, finally got out of the contract of a left fielder who didn't see a lot of the major leagues after hitting 280 with 30 homers a couple years ago. Would this have been the spot where we bring Yasmani Tomas into the fold and finally, you know, have the Yasmani Tomas experience that you always craved, I always thought would eventually happen? Is this the time where we get to lament the loss of a Yasmani Tomas who would have answered all these questions for us? So while the yelping continues, this is my mom's dogs. What does that dog have to say? Get that dog on the podcast. We just had lunch. We just had breakfast delivered, so she's going crazy. Gotcha. I figured it was a mailman situation or something. Yeah. (laughs) 
She's right. She didn't want to have the Yasmani t- conversation at all. She's over it. She's like, that guy's gone. We don't have the $68 million anymore. So, Rob, you know, I was always a fan of giving Yasmani Tomas as much of an opportunity to succeed as possible. Mostly because we were paying him so much money. And that first year that he was up, yeah, he had the third base experiment. That didn't go well. No, he was never really good in left field from a defensive standpoint. But, he sh- but it looked like he could be able to hit. And he came up, and he was young, and he hit the ball hard. I thought he was a fun player to hit, to, to watch play. He, you know, we had, I had these dreams that he'd be a 35-40 home run guy, that he could be like J.D. Martinez, something similar to that, maybe J.D. Martinez light. Somebody with a low batting average, high home run, high slugging, just driving in runs and played below average defense in the outfield. Catch pop flies get the ball back into the infield. Maybe A.J. Pollock at the time would have to run over and pick up the balls that get past him. But, you know, you sacrifice that for the homers. But, you know, as time went on and I just looked what he was doing in the minor leagues, he was hitting home runs, but again, they were in Reno and so was uh, Ildemaro Vargas was hitting home runs. I mean, we saw what Kevin Crone did in Reno air and then what he did when he came back to the to the – much lower altitude of Phoenix, even though it's the second highest altitude ballpark in baseball. Kevin Crone, by the way, who's now in either the Korean Baseball League or Japanese Baseball League right now. He's made the move. He has. Uh, wish him the, all the success in the world over there. At this point, Rob, if for whatever reason, as Money Tomas was still in the Diamondback system, maybe he signed a minor league deal with us and whatever hypothetical he can come up with. No, I don't think that this opens a door for Yasmany Tomas if he was still in our system. This organization under Mike Hazen and Tori Lovello has shown that there really wasn't a spot for Yasmany Tomas on the on the playing field in Phoenix. And I don't think that changes just because Cole Calhoun is hurt, just because there's an opening in left field. Yeah, so this is, I guess, ultimately, I bring that name up to just kind of scratch at the scab, open up that wound again. Um, but I guess my issue is that phrase that you just had. It's not about playing. He was hitting home runs and all that stuff. It was worth at least a try. Whatever. I guess my issue is the same uh, company, what the same baseball team that hires an Adam Dunn, right, who is a below-average outfielder, just hits a bunch of bombs, and, and like a 162 batting average, like, you know, like they're obviously able to put up with a lot, but just I hate this trend of like, getting rid of young talent and and not seeing what you have like our we, this baseball team had enough of Trevor Bauer it had seen enough of Max Scherzer you know we gave away Darby Swanson Tuki Toussaint you know has major league playing and these are like all of our high draft picks and, and this is a, a signing but you know I we're we're what a couple of months away from just seeing Yosemite Tomas make the all-star team and and we blew it again and that that trend is just frustrating for me but to just give some uh, more flesh to what you were proposing last year David Peralta got hurt he was our left fielder Yasmani Tomas saw no games last year and 2020 was not part of the alternate site and in 2019 maybe we saw him for a handful of games as a DH without a hit. So, you know, last year they had the opportunity to try and squeeze any juice out of that contract, and they just chose not to. But to account for that, or maybe just to add something to that, all those players that you mentioned, Dimeback organization given up on maybe too early, 
including a number of Cy Young winners, happened before Mike Hazen was here. Just the two so, Cy Young winners, if you think about it. <laughs> just the two. Just the two, but multiple Cy Youngs between them. That's for sure. More um, than two between them. So we oh, do you have anything else to say about... I mean, I, Tomas, that was more of a throwaway. I'm, I'm glad we got right. as much energy as we did out of it. I've got a couple more names. Because the issue is with a lot of these players is like, uh, time served and if we bring a rookie up too early like it starts their clock or they're not on the 40-man roster and blah 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 there's a couple of people we could just sign straight off the street you know and so my most hated player in the history of the world slash i think your favorite because you always give him excuses for taking steroids and lying about it ryan braun is sitting on his couch eating cheetos like we could be best buds right now what about signing a guy like that or john jay well john jay's with the angels so unless you're gonna pick him up off of there's a lot of minor league deals and people who won't make the team. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So if that's what you're thinking, uh, John Jay, I I don't know why we would give a roster spot to somebody uh, in what is going to be a somewhat of a rebuilding year or we'll see what we see type of year. I don't know why we would give playing time to John Jay when Paven Smith and Dalton Varsho are sitting there. Dude, you're going over to Ryan bats. Braun. Go, go to the big juice. Barry in oh, the lead. I'm, I'm going to get back to Ryan Braun. He was cut by the Brewers. Longtime Brewer. There's no room for Ryan Braun. If the, if the Brewers the Brewers just signed Jackie Bradley Jr. to add to their outfield. Ryan Braun's not, not a left fielder anymore. Those knees are shot. Those He's, I don't know, what is he, about 36 years old maybe? He's 37. And if you like shot knees, I mean, heck, we can go to, who else is out there? Yasiel Puig, Josh Reddick. They don't have any knees either. We can uh we can sign anybody, right? Right. So I don't. I just think with the number of youngsters, like you said, there are nine people on the, you know, in camp with the Diamondbacks that you picked out as as plausible left fielders for the Diamondbacks. With that kind of availability and that kind of depth, why do we? Why are we going to the free agent route? I just don't see it. Yeah, I guess that would be for a longer term injury. You probably have to look elsewhere. But again. We're looking at a couple of weeks. Think about it this way. We've not had a great prospect for years where we're like, oh, he's down in the minors for service time, but man, wait till May 1st. You know, we're going to bring him up. You know, Chris Bryant on the Cubs, that was so exciting. Just treat Cole Calhoun like that. Hey, you know, service time. He's going to come up. He's going to be this this um, extra boost shot into the arm. You know, the moment he comes up, just like a, a rookie would. And he's, yeah. like you said, the best player, double-digit home runs. He was the only player to do it last year for the Diamondbacks. You know, that's the shot in the arm we need. It's cool to bring him back in May. Yeah, I, you know, I'm excited to see Cole Calhoun when he's healthy and back with the team. Until then, uh, you know, I think Starling Marte, or not Starling Marte, Kettle Marte has, not that he has, you know, cemented himself in center, but the Dimeback organization has cemented himself in, sec, in center field. And you're going to see some combination of, I mean, for me, I'm, if I'm sitting in Vegas asking who the Diamondbacks left fielder is today, and I'll have you uh, say the same thing, Rob, my money's on Peyton Smith. All right. Um, young guy, either way. I guess given into that, we'll kind of get off this topic because, I mean, ultimately we have to wait and see, right? No one enjoys right. the sitting on the fence, but we've made our predictions. And Well, who's your prediction? Josh Rojas. You gave us a couple of this. Yeah, Rojas, Josh Rojas. I mean, or Tim LaCraster if he comes back, but I just think we, we – we have enough experience, like people who have played in the majors, uh, to handle a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So um, that's who I'll put. Tim LaCastro is the wild card because who knows, right? Tor Lovello said he's asymptomatic, and that's really helpful. But if you look at like 
the bubble with basketball last year. Like Russell Westbrook comes back and he's playing, but he talks later like I had no legs. You know, like COVID really took it out of me. It's more than just like testing positive. It's if you have any symptoms, like your conditioning goes out the window. It's hard to breathe. Um, I got to imagine the fine motor skills you have with baseball and hitting a ball. And, and for him specifically, speed's a big part of his game. If if there's a few symptoms at all, I don't think we should expect him just to come back like Tim LaCastro normal after 10 days. I, I think that's tough to expect given um, what the pandemic has done with a lot of people and, and athletes specifically. Yeah. The last thing I want to leave you with, Rob, is more of just a thought. I don't have an answer to this yet. I think it's something that I'm excited to see. And I guess the question really is, what else are you excited to see as spring training ramps up uh, You know, a week from now, the rules that allow teams to end innings early go away? So what else are you looking forward to seeing out of this Dimeback team in spring training? For me... I think Kettle Marte is an everyday center fielder now. I'm not a fan of it, but I'm interested to see who takes over that everyday second baseman role. What are you interested? What are you excited to or interested in seeing, Rob? Well, it's something that I've already seen. We can kind of segue into what the the positives or negatives are with the first five games, the first full week of play. Uh, I've been very excited about, especially with our relievers and our young guys, how much velocity our pitchers are, are throwing right now. Typically early in spring training, you know, you'll see a low. We, we Every year it's either Mad Bum or Zach Granke before him is like throwing 88 miles an hour and they've got to tell the media, relax, like I'm going to be fine, like the velo is going to be up. Dude, we've got some people throwing heat, 95, 96, all the way up to 98 right now. Um, and it's from our young core. And so if we're going to talk about prospects all year, if we're going to be excited for 2022 and 2023, it's these players in this early in spring, they're throwing heat. Got to love that. Mm. That is that is exciting news, Rob. Anyone uh, in particular? Wow, that... you could not be more impressed. Wow, that sounds amazing. I'm <laughs> so excited. All right, Rob. Well, give me some. You said you said that we got young players throwing 98. Tell me who they are. There's a couple that stand out to me, uh, namely Jake Bukaskis, who came over in one of the trades. Um, more specifically, like the velo of a Zach Gallen um, has been surprising very early on, and and Luke Weaver coming off the injury. I've been very impressed with. To follow up, just Corbin Martin um, is someone to watch out for as well, and Caleb Smith, who have been throwing the heat early. Now, I get it, especially with like a Zach Gallen and Luke Weaver. Um, they're only doing a couple innings at a time, right? They're not pacing themselves to go six or seven. Uh, but early on, you know, especially with what I felt was a pretty short pitchers and catchers report, um, you're seeing a lot of, of great arm life. So... I think going into that, we can talk about a couple of players if you'd like, but ultimately that that's one of the biggest things I've seen early on that I've enjoyed. Well, let's just go ahead and talk a little bit about J.B. Bukaskis. Uh, you know, he's one of our prospects. You mentioned he came over in the Zach Greinke trade. He was a uh, first-round draft pick um, back in 2017. Uh, we actually originally drafted him out of high school in the 20th round. He didn't sign with the Diamondbacks then, uh, opting to go to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, pitch for the Tar Heels, where he became one of the uh, college baseball's better pitchers for a season or two. You're right. He's got great arm movement. He throws the ball really hard. Uh, it, throughout his minor league career up to this point, he's been worked as a starter. And just as a starter, one of those 
pitchers who dominates at the college level, dominates as an amateur, when they make it to the pro levels, they just don't quite have enough pitches to be a starter. He's got a great he's got a great fastball. He's got a good secondary pitch. Uh, top of my head, I want to say it's a slider. Um, really kind of profiles as a really good reliever. And this year in spring training, he's working exclusively as a reliever. So I don't know. I think his his maturing as a starter may be over. And he's definitely somebody that we could see filling in the back end of that bullpen. Uh, he's, he throws heat. He's a refined college pitcher. I'm really excited about J.B. Bukaskis. I think he's got future closer material written all over him. I was just going to lead into that. And, and so we've got a couple of old guys, um, veterans with some know-how. We were excited about them in Tyler Clippard and Joaquin Soria. And we felt like, hey, if we get to the eighth inning, like we're going to be good with the lead, um, hopefully. So, but if they don't have velocity or if they, if whatever happens, they become trade pieces, right? Like you've talked about down the road. Uh, J.B. Bukowskis is someone that I'm very excited to see. And you talked about being refined in his pitching skill. I think we can juxtapose that with, Yoan Lopez, who is definitely dynamic, someone who I am always excited to see, but we've not seen a ton from him this year. More specifically, haven't seen a lot of refined pitching skill, um, especially situationally when he's behind in the count and things like that here at the majors. So this is a, a someone with just as much velocity uh, with, like you said, just a little bit more polish. And so I'll be excited to see him um, as the year progresses. Moving on to Zach Gallon for just one quick moment. I almost laughed it out when I out of the building when I heard that Zach Gallen could be potentially the opening day starter because I'm thinking if you have Madison Bumgarner on the roster, even just ceremonially, like how are you not putting him out there with what he's getting paid? He just finished a game again yesterday, three innings, absolutely dominating, especially her here early on. Tell me about Zach Gallen, what you see here early on that you like, or you know how you see him moving this year and, and continuing to grow as potentially our ace. Yeah, I, I think right now, if we're going to compete in 2021 or 2022 or 2023... Just even have a chance, yeah. If those are even any years we're looking to compete for playoffs, uh, for a playoff spot over the next three years, that means that Zach Gallen needs to develop into an ace. He has already shown ace-level stuff uh, results. He looks great. You know, we paid a steep price for him. We traded a top 50 mm-hmm. prospect in Jazz Chisholm. A for one him. for one. Yeah. You know, that was absolutely a trade that in uh, 2019 caught everyone by surprise, caught all of Major League Baseball by surprise that Mike Hazen would pull that off, especially as we were, you know, as buyers at that point of the year. You don't normally think of being a buyer and trading your number one prospect, but that's what we did there. So we paid. You know, there's a lot of expectation on Zach Gallon in the organization, but also from himself. Zach Gallon needs to develop into that ace pitcher, and I think he has all the opportunity and ability to do so. Yeah, it's interesting that we said that so many years with Robbie Ray, and not to pour pour dirt on him, but it just never amounted to anything. And it's like if if we're successful, it's because he's turned a corner, and we just never saw it. With him, I think you can see immediate dividends. We saw it last year. And so that's where I have more hope, even for this year and for the future, is like he's got a better chance to be great and great right now and be the the reason we, we move the needle um, and, and head towards a wild card of the playoff. The thing, too, about Zach Gallen, that where he's positioned right now is he's having this success 
pretty early in his career. He's got a career 278 ERA. Um, granted, that's only 27 games started. Uh, his whip career is in a 1.1. Again, you know, pretty small sample sizes for a starting pitcher, but 27 games started, that's a full season. If he had a 278 ERA over a full season, you know, we're talking, you know, Cy Young votes. So that's real exciting for him um, and for us. He's not going to be eligible for arbitration until 2023. So again, you know, we've got him. He's cheap. We can build around a rotation around Zach Gallon right now, which allows us to bring in a Madison Bumgarner as more of a mid-rotation starter. Oh, he's better than that, at- even despite a crappy year last year. Oh, he has to show it. Yeah. So does Luke Weaver. So does Merrill Kelly. I get I get what right. you mean, but someone's got to be number two. But as one uh, interesting item of note, Zach Gallon and J.B. Bukowskis, college teammates. No, here's what's also exciting, and if you can see any silver lining with um, the fact that we've had a shortened season down to 60 games last year, and this year is going to be down a little bit as well, that keeps Zach Gallon's innings down. And more specifically, this is this is the parallel draw. Our last young, awesome pitcher was Daniel Hudson. And remember, he pitched over 200 innings uh, before age 25, and people were all like, oh, it's written on the wall. Any pitcher does that does that usually has a big arm injury. Then boom, um, not one, but two Tommy Johns for Daniel Hudson. And and I really feel like that, just like Brandon Webb before him, is like a, a player that was going to go, the sky's the limit, and just gets cut down by some sort of arm injury. Specifically with the innings, the next two years, which leads through his age 25 years, Zach Gallen's not going to have a chance to pitch 200 innings. There's just not enough games for it. And so you get to see this dominance um, while also uh, forcing his hand and not having so many innings pitch. We're not going to run him into the ground. you know. And so rather than Steven Strasburger, where that became the bane of the the existence for fans when the front office would shut him down into the playoffs you know that's just going to happen naturally because of the lack of games over the past couple of years right and and just the other day Tori Lovello and uh and Zach Gallen have said that he's going to be on a pit on an innings limit this season uh don't know what that innings limit is going to be but he will only pitch probably between 140 and 160 innings okay does that have anything to do with pitch limit and how many innings per game, or they're just capping it overall at, like, 160? They're capping it overall over the course of the season, but the implication that that's going to have for the Diamondbacks and for Zach Gallen is there's going to be a question. He's pitching in a game. Diamondbacks are up big. It's the fifth inning. Do you pull him? Save it. He's pitching great, but save some, save some of those innings off his arm? Or one thing that I think we're definitely going to see, and the Diamondbacks have done in the past, we're going to have six-man rotations for parts of the season uh we rarely saw that we even talked about that last year as a potential like and that didn't really happen the way we thought here's here's my bigger way up big finish him after five it's like taking a basketball player out and after three quarters and letting them rest you know Giannis I'm not gonna try that name uh you know Chris Paul or whatever gets rest in the fourth quarter when you're up by 20 that's fine that's not an issue to me get some bullpen work in the issue is if you're in the sixth inning, up by a run, and he's dominating, are you taking him out? You know, because of yeah. a pitch or an inning limit. That's what would be frustrating because then you're taking out someone who's dominating, i.e. Blake Snell last year in the World Series, and leaving it up to a bullpen guy who's coming in fresh, yes, but cold also without the stakes of the game that Zach Gallon's been working on all, all game. Right. I don't think 
if we're in the World Series and Zach Gallon's pitching great in the sixth inning, he's being taken out. But I can see it him being taken out in May or June. The you know, don't want like to lose said, that game, man. We're not going right. to win so many that we can cough up easy stuff like that. Right. But we're talking about a game in 2020 with a pitcher that isn't hitting arbitration or until 2023 or free agency through 2026 and is expected to be the ace of our staff when we're really expected to compete. I think it's just going to be an interesting to take note of. I mean, I think that's just the way pitching is going these days, inning limits and controlling starters' innings. I think Zach Gallon this year we probably see pitch into the seventh inning very rarely, only if the pitch count allows it. And I do think that this is a year with some of our pitching depth. Our pitching depth is interesting this year uh, from starter level because you, when the players you had mentioned, Corbin Martin being ready to pitch major league games but not seemingly having a spot on the major league rotation right now. See, I was an idiot and thought that last year. I was like, oh, Taylor Widner, John Duplantier. Like, oh, we're nine deep. And here we go into the season. We get blown out every third game. Yeah, I... I just think that this, no matter what the Diamondback organization is saying this year, I think this year is not rebuilding, but see what we have. Retooling? Retooling. We've been doing uh, that for a couple of years. Uh, Hazen's a master at it, though, so we definitely got the yeah. right guy in the office. Right. That was a lot more than I thought. So I'm glad we covered that. Stick with us. Repeat again if you guys want to hear the, the left fielder talk, because we got a ton of options, none of which we know about right now, you know, so a lot of moving parts. I'm sure in the next couple of weeks, left fielder will and right field will shake themselves out, as will second base. I think that so it's spring training's for. Right. The Cole Calhoun injury, what it does, I think it just gives somebody an opportunity to, to earn some playing time, which is what makes spring training interesting. To flash early, or if they don't, like you've got Cole Calhoun coming back. So that's the cool part. Not a major injury, just like I said in the very beginning. Um, you can decide on your own, because, right, I'm not the one with the hurt knee. But I do know, like, he's expecting to come back sooner. I love the spirit of that more than it actually happening in practice. You know, but he thinks, Cole Calhoun thinks he can come back in four weeks and wants to. Um, if nothing else, I appreciate the gumption. You know, like, that's the kind of player that you want on your team any day of the week. Yeah, still waiting on a couple guys to pop. So, the places you find us, Bloop Single AZ on Twitter. Wait. Yeah, Bloop. Hmm. Where do they find us? Bloop single AZ on Twitter, bloop single AZ at gmail.com, Instagram, bloop single. And that's the one that's different. Reach out anyway. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right, Rob. Okay, good. Twitter or Instagram, we'd love to hear from you. Like and subscribe. We'll see you next time. All right, man. Adios, amigo.